you have a copy of God's Word, look with me to our passage found in the book of Luke chapter 9 as we continue our series in the book of Luke. Book of Luke chapter 9, we'll begin reading with verse 28. What we're doing is we're looking at lessons from Luke. We're looking at encounters with Jesus and, and how he meets with people and what happens when he meets with people. And in the last few weeks, we've seen how Jesus met people and for the very first time, something happened to them. Today, we're going to be looking at a passage where Jesus has already met these men. They're his disciples. And something still is going to happen to them, very unique, very unusual. Book of Luke, chapter 9, beginning in verse 28. Now, previously, Jesus asked a question. He asked, who do you men say that I am? And Peter answered, you're the Christ. And Jesus commends him. And so now, beginning with verse 28, Luke picks up the story. He writes, Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James and went up into the mountain to pray. While he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not realizing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. When the voice is spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is an amazing story. One, Father, that is hard for us to comprehend. One that's hard for us to see in our mind's eyes. But Father, I pray you'll help us today as we look at it, that we will understand it. That Father, we'll take your lessons that you gave to Peter, James, and John, and apply them to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> During the series, I, I made this kind of this statement. Whenever you have an encounter with Jesus, a true encounter with Jesus, you're going to be challenged and or changed. I promise you. You cannot have an encounter with Jesus and stay the same. It's impossible. When you have an encounter with Jesus, you're going to be challenged and our change. And we've been seeing that throughout this series, how Jesus comes into someone's life and change them or challenge them. Well, today we're going to be looking at a text that his disciples have been with him already for a while, and he's still going to challenge them and change them. Again, as I said a few moments ago, the background of the story is that Jesus had asked the disciples a question. He said, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. 
And Jesus said, well done. You got it, Peter. Thank you. Now, this takes place a few days later, and something is about to change. It's going to turn it upside down. So take your Bibles and look back at this passage as we look at the story, as we begin by looking at the place, verse 28. It says, he took Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. He went to the mountain to pray. He didn't take all of the disciples. He only took three of them, Peter, James, and John. They're called the inner circle. Now, understand, in the Bible, Jesus had many followers. He had 12 disciples or apostles, but he had three of the inner circle. And he had one, according to John, that he was closer to, and that was John. The inner circle, these three men, followed Jesus in certain situations. In fact, five times in the New Testament, they are alone with Jesus, watching and seeing his miracles. He allowed them to see things behind the scene, behind the curtain. And so he takes Peter, James, and John on the mountain to pray. You know, in churches, a lot of times we talk about the mountaintop experience. We always talk about the mountaintop experience. Have you had the mountaintop experience? Do you realize that's a rare occurrence in Scripture? You would think it's all through the Bible, but it's not. The first mountaintop experience in the Bible is when Abraham takes his only, quote, beloved son, Isaac, who was promised by God, and Abraham takes him to sacrifice him. This is Isaac, the one God had promised Abraham. He was going to fulfill the covenant with Abraham. And God says, I want you to go and sacrifice your son. And so he takes him to the mountain. It's a picture of what one day Jesus is going to do, how Jesus is going to die on a cross, God's only begotten son. And so here it's Abraham. He's taking Isaac, his only son, In the Old Testament story, God intervenes at the last moment to save Isaac's life after he saw Abraham's faithfulness. That's the first mountaintop experience. The second mountaintop experience found in the book of Exodus. That's when Moses, after he led the people out of Egypt, after they crossed the Red Sea, the people are free, and Moses goes to a mountaintop, and there he has an encounter with God, and he spends six days on the mountaintop. And while he's there, there's a dark cloud surrounding the mountain, And then Moses comes down from the mountain. He gives the Ten Commandments. And the Bible says that Moses is glowing from being in the presence of God. And before Moses died, God made a promise in Deuteronomy. He says in chapter 18, verse 15, he would raise up for the people another prophet who would, like Moses, hear the voice of God and teach it to the people. And when that prophet comes, listen to him. Talking about Jesus. Well, there's a third mountaintop experience. Found in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19. That's Elijah. Elijah is talking to God. He's seeking God. Elijah is looking for God, and there's a strong wind like a tornado, and God's not there. And then there's a fire, and God's not there. And then there's an earthquake, and God's not there. And then God appears to Elijah in a still, small voice. And God tells Elijah, go anoint this man to be king. Think about those three mountaintop experiences. There's a cloud. There's a voice. There's a beloved son to be sacrificed. There's a command to listen to God. There's an anointing of a king. And there's the glow of the presence of God. What we just read in Luke chapter 9 takes those three mountaintop experiences and puts them in one story. 
Notice the presence of the glory of God in verse 29. Verse 29, and while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah. Here's Jesus. He's praying. While he's praying, something happens. Mark uses the word transfigured. It comes from the word metamorphosis. It's the word, uh, the same word uh, of changing a caterpillar into a butterfly. It means something changing from the outside, coming from the inside. In the Old Testament, in Exodus, remember when, when Moses, I just said, Moses had an encounter with God? He, he didn't see God directly, but he was in the presence of God. Just because he was near to God, he glowed. He was different. Moses reflected the glory of God as the moon reflects the light of the sun. But Jesus produces the glory of God. Jesus does not point to the glory of God. He is the glory of God. There's a difference here. And here is Jesus, and he is on this mountaintop, and he is transfigured. One commentator said it this way, For a brief moment, the veil of his humanity was lifted, and Jesus' body shined with brilliance. I mean, here's the glory of God that was hidden in the manger is now being revealed on the mountain. This is an amazing sight. This is a picture of the glory of God. And we've been singing about the glory of God all morning. And it's something found over 300 times in the Bible that talks about the glory of God. And the reason it talks so much about the glory of God is we don't understand it. There are no words we can use to describe it. The Bible says it's just an attribute of God. And so there are different words like splendor or, or beauty or magnificent or radiance or prominence or, or preeminence or, or holiness or purity. Whatever word they try to use, we cannot even understand the glory of God. In fact, the ancient rabbis came up with a different word for it it's called the Shekinah glory of God. Now, the word Shekinah is not found in Scripture, but it describes the glory of God. Whenever you see the presence of God, and for example, when the people left Egypt and they're going to the promised land, they had this cloud that led them by day and then a pillar of fire by night. That's the Shekinah glory of God. When Isaiah had the encounter with God in the temple, that's the Shekinah glory of God. We see it over and over. And here is Jesus having this, this moment of the glory of God. And we see it in three ways. First, through his countenance. Verse 29 says, his appearance of his face became different. Matthew says his face shone like the sun. Also, it appeared in his clothing. It says his clothing became white and gleaming. Mark talks about his clothes. He, he used a Greek word to describe bright as lightning. But also through his companions. Verse 30. Behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. There is Moses and Elijah. Let me chase a rabbit, okay? How did they know he was Moses and Elijah? They didn't have name tags. I mean, if, if you saw Abraham Lincoln or, or, or George Washington, you would know. You've seen pictures. There are no pictures of Moses and Elijah. How did they know? Did Jesus say, let me introduce to you. This is, Joe. This is my friend. No, no. You know what's happening? This is a picture, a glimpse of heaven. We're going to know people in heaven. You're going to know people. You, you're not going to have to introduce yourself. 
You're going to know your friends and your family. You're going to know relatives that, that died before you. You're going to know the baby in the womb that died. You're going to know famous people, unfamous people. You're going to know all the people. This is a glimpse that we will know people. And here's Moses and Elijah. I mean, why, why them? Why not Jeremiah? Why not David? Well, think about it. Both these men, Moses and Elijah, had a mountaintop experience with God. Moses on Mount Sinai and Elijah on Mount Horeb. They both had been seen, they both had been shown the glory of God. Both had famous departures. Moses died on Mount Nebo, and God buried him. We don't know where Moses is buried. Elijah was taken up in that fiery chariot. Jesus is going to have an incredible departure, too, when the tomb, when that stone is rolled away. Moses and Elijah both were expected to come at the end of the age. Moses is the great lawgiver. Elijah is the great prophet. Moses was the founder of Israel's religious economy. Elijah was the restorer of it. In other words, when you say Moses and Elijah, basically you're saying A to Z. And why are they there? Well, Luke tells us they are talking about Jesus' departure. That word is the word exodus. They're talking about how Jesus is going to die on the cross, and he's going to go into the tomb, and he's going to be resurrected, and they're talking to Jesus about that redemptive part of history. It's an amazing sight. But then we come to the problem. Verse 32, now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory, the two men standing with him. They're sleeping. Here is Jesus with Elijah and Moses, and they are sleeping. It wasn't time change. They had no excuse. Jesus had invited them to a prayer meeting. Can you imagine being invited to a prayer meeting with Jesus, and you fall asleep? And so they wake up. And Peter doesn't know what to say. In fact, Mark, who gets most of his information from Peter, uh, said that Peter was so scared he didn't know what he was saying. Because in verse 33, as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and for Moses and for Elijah. And Luke just says he's not, not realizing what he was saying. Here's what Peter is saying. He wakes up and says, hey, Jesus, can we stay up here? We don't have to go down the, down the mountain anymore. Let, let's just stay here. Let's, let's build three tabernacles. Let's just stay here. You see the problem? Peter wasn't thinking about Jesus going to the cross. He was comfortable. Peter wasn't thinking about the others, like the other disciples. He was comfortable. Jesus, uh, Peter wasn't thinking about uh, the mission. He was comfortable. Peter wanted that experience of staying on the mountain and forget about the mission. Don't we do that? Have you ever been on a retreat and think, oh, if only I could stay here, it'd be great. We go to a conference, oh, if I, if I could only stay at this conference all the time and just study God's word, I'd be, I'd, it'd be great. We go to a singing, we go to a revival, oh, why can't we just do this all the time? We fall in love with that, we don't want to leave. You see, we become so consumed with our emotions, we forget the mission. We forget our job. Our job is to go out into a messy, demonic world with the gospel. We want to be comfortable instead of being missional. 
By the way, next week we're going to see what happens when they come down off the mountain. They're going to, be, they're going to have an encounter with someone demon-possessed. After the problem, we find the proclamation from the Father. Look at verse 34. While he was saying this, what's he saying? He's saying, let's, let's stay up here with three tabernacles for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Here's Peter. He's talking. And then this cloud comes over them, and you hear this voice of God saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. In fact, that word cloud is used three times in two verses. In other words, the emphasis, this is not an ordinary cloud. This is not a cumulus type of cloud. This is a, a, a supernatural cloud. This is the cloud of God. This is the kind of cloud we find in the book of Exodus. It shows the power and the, and the presence and the protection of God. It reveals God's glory. And he says to Peter, Peter, this is my son. Now, why is he saying that? What did Peter say? Peter said, hey, Jesus, I got an idea. Let's build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Do you hear what he's saying? Jesus, let's build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because you're all equal. That's what he's saying. And God comes and says, Peter, they're not equal. This is my son. Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah. I mean, just eight days earlier, Peter said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And now he's saying you're equal to Moses and Elijah. Listen, one minister said, past successes does not prevent future failings. Peter was a success eight days earlier. And now he's failing big time. Father saying, Peter, that's false teaching. My son is not equal to man. He is my son. Listen to him. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Elijah. Jesus is greater than Jeremiah. Jesus is greater than David. God is saying, this is my son, my only son. Listen to him. And I find it interesting. They go to the mountain to pray, and they fall asleep. And now God is going to give to them the guidelines of how to pray. He gives to them two guidelines. Two guidelines that we need to apply to our lives. The first is... Be quiet. That's what he's saying to Peter. Peter, be quiet. This is my son. You know, throughout the Bible, God tells us to be quiet. He says it different ways. Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Be quiet. Some of you struggle with that. Some of you struggle with it more than others. I'm Dan. I'm your friend. We just make noise. It's hard for us to be quiet. French philosopher Blaise Pascal said, the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to stay quietly in his room. We hate the quiet. Life is too busy, too frantic. There's noise. We've got to be like Peter. We've got to be talking all the time. Do you know why? For some people, not all, but for some people, they have a God complex. They want to know everything. They want to know every Facebook post. They want to know every 
Twitter posts. They want to know every video on TikTok. They wanted to know every news article about a certain topic. They, they just want to know everything, and their life is just noisy. You're surrounded by noise. You are never in a quiet moment. You have something playing in the background. There's always noise because you cannot handle being quiet. On Monday afternoon, January 7, 2019, Florencia Rastielli was wiping a counter at the diner that she worked. She knocked off a glass and it crashed on the floor. And everyone stared at her. Kind of like out of a Jordan Peele movie. They just stared at her. A police officer came in and went, quiet. She was petrified. She was scared. She was embarrassed. Because she lived in Cremona, Italy. And that particular week, they told everyone to be quiet. The mayor told the citizens to be quiet. Don't make any sudden or unnecessary sounds. You see, Cremona is home to one of the workshop of the world's finest instrument makers, including Antonio Stradivari. And they were doing something, an ambitious project. They were making a digital, digital recording of the Stradivarius. They didn't want future generations to miss the pure sound of the Stradivarius. It's called the Stradivarius Sound Bank. It took years to do this. It took years to build the auditorium. It took years to prepare the microphones. It took years to get everything ready. And then they did the first recording, and there was a mistake. There was a major flaw. The, the microphones were so sensitive, the sound of a car engine, the, the, a woman walking down the street with high heels produced a vibration that was picked up by the radio, by, by the microphone. And so in this particular week, they told everyone to be quiet. And so the auditorium ventilation was turned off. Every light bulb in the concert hall was un unscrewed to eliminate that faint buzzing noise. And they started playing the sound. When the sound engineer said, stop, stop. And they reround the, the tape and they listened. He said, who dropped a glass on the floor? She was two blocks away. And he heard the glass dropped two blocks away. It's amazing what you can hear when you're quiet. To hear the perfect quality of the Stradivarius, they needed to be quiet. For us to hear the perfect voice of God, we need to be quiet. Second, he said, listen. Second guideline is listen. They went to the mountain to pray. And God says, listen. You see, we have a tendency to talk in our praying, don't we? We talk more than we listen. In fact, I submit to you, we need to listen as much as we talk. Adopting a line from the musical Hamilton, we need to talk less, listen more when we pray. Need to listen. Many times people just jump in and start talking to God without listening. They talk to God and they run off. They don't listen. I heard a preacher give this illustration recently. He, he said, imagine, he said, my teenage son running up to me and said, hey, Dad, could, could you do my math homework for me? It's hard. Will you just do it for me? I know you love me. I know you'll do it. And, and by the way, could you buy me a car? I really love a car. And, and could you give me your credit card? There's some things I want to go buy. 
And, and by the way, today, tonight I'm not going to eat this dinner. I, I'm just going to eat ice cream. And, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. I'm going to stay with a friend. Love you, Dad. And run out. And the preacher said, imagine your son doing that to you. He said, he called his son. He, would, he said, I, I would call my son in. He said, son, I will not do your homework. But I will be with you and I'll teach you how to do it. I'll stay by your side as you learn. I'm not going to buy you a car. You're not old enough and you're not ready. I'm not going to give you a credit card, but I will, I will pay you to do some chores around the house to make some more money. And I promise you, I will meet all your needs. You want ice cream? You don't realize you're lactose intolerant. That's why you're always sick every time you eat ice cream. And that friend you want to spend time with, that, that friend's not good for you. He's not good for you. I'm telling you all this because I love you. And you need to listen to me. We're like the teenager, aren't we? We run to God in our prayer time, and we just tell him everything. God, do this, do this, do this. do. Because you love me, do this, do this. Give me, give me, give me, give me, do this, do this. And run away. What would happen if instead we go to God and be quiet and begin by listening and praying what God tells us to pray? It would change our prayer life. If you were quiet this morning, what would God tell you to pray? What would God tell you to do? If you're going to listen to God, you need to obey what God tells you. So what would God tell you to do this morning? For some of you here and online, he's telling you you're not saved. You, you think your good life is going to get you to heaven, but it's not. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ in a personal way. You're not saved. You, you think because you go to church, you think you, because you watch online that you're saved. You're not. There's never been that personal time when you ask Christ into your life, when you repented of your sins. You need to give your life today. For some, he's going to say, you know, you gave your life to Christ, but you've never been baptized. And it's so important. In fact, in the Great Commission, I, I, I said that you need to be baptized. And you need to follow in baptism. For some, he would say, you need to find a church. You need believers that you can connect with to help you grow. For some, he's going to say, there's a sin in your life you're holding on to. No one knows about it, but I know about it. You're holding on to it, and it's hurting your spiritual walk. You need to repent of that sin let it go and give it to me. Oh, for some, he's going to say, there's somebody you need to forgive. You're holding that grudge. You're holding something because they did something 5, 10, 15, 50 years ago, or maybe even last week, whatever it is, you need to let it go and forgive them. I don't know what God is telling you to do this morning. But I know if you listen, he will tell you. And I know you need to obey. If you're watching online and you've never given your life to Christ, will you do so today? If you would just text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call and talk to you about your decision, whatever it may be. But if you're here this morning... And you know what God wants you to do. And you're listening and God is telling you to do something. Today you need to do it. No hesitation. Just stand and bow your heads. Our Father, we pray you'll help us to hear your words. The Father, we'll 
be quiet and listen. And Father, we'll quit talking and listen. That Father, we'll quit moving around and listen. That Father, we'll be in tune to your voice. And Father, what you tell us to do, let us obey. And for that person who's never given their life to Christ, let today be the day. Father, right now, this moment, let them make that decision. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me 2,000 years ago. He was buried on the third day he arose. This morning, I confess, I give him everything. Everything in my life, I give to you. I lay it at the foot of the cross. Father, speak to us. Let us move in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.